Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your love for each one of us. Thank you for this opportunity to celebrate your coming to earth, you emptying yourself of your divinity to take on our humanity and to be for us what we could not do for ourselves, to be our Savior and to be our Lord. And so, Lord, as we look at your word, as we be before you now, open our ears to hear what you would say to each of us. Open our minds, change our hearts, Lord, that we would be more like you and that this Christmas would not pass us by without seeing real transformation. So thank you, Lord, for our time together. Give me your words in your name. Amen. So you can't be here this morning without really understanding, beginning to get the spirit of Christmas, of what Christmas really is about, of who we truly celebrate, of what it means to say, Jesus, you have come, you are our Lord, you are our Savior. That is good news. That's why we say, hark, the herald angels are singing, joy has come. So that, that's great. But how many of you, as, as good as that is, and as wonderful as that is, and that is appropriate, how many of you are also looking forward to five days from now, going to your part of the tree and pulling out a present, a gift with your name on it and something marked just for you that somebody bought. Okay, this is truth. This is an honest place. Anybody looking forward to that gift that, that they know? Kids, come on, help me out. Where are the young people? Yeah, okay, I see that hand. Great. This is, let's be honest, even though Christmas is sort of derided from time to time as being too commercial, the whole idea of gift giving is something that's a part of it, and honestly, something that we look forward to. How many of you, when you were young, can think of a time you were just really looking forward to a particular gift, and you had made it very clear to anybody who was in your circle, a parent, your mom, your dad, your grandparent, Santa, anybody that could possibly help you get that gift, you'd made your wish known. Can you remember a time, a particular gift, the excitement that somebody actually heard that, that they wrote it down. Maybe you were sort of peeking in closets and searching around looking for that particular gift. Did it arrive? Now, if you wrote to Santa, that's going to be hard to do because he only comes once a year and it's, he comes when you're asleep. But you had that sort of anticipation that this was going to happen. Hopefully this was going to be it. This, this, would, make you, this would make you with your friends. Maybe it was... a. Uh, uh, you know, a, a toy of some kind, maybe it was an athletic piece of equipment, a mitt or a basketball, maybe it was a, a video game, something that you would now be just the, the, the cool kid in your neighborhood because you had this gift, a bike that nobody had. Now, I don't know what it was for you, but I, I know that everybody here can remember something that they wanted. Uh, Vicky and I, my wife Vicky and I were talking about this the other day and we were just sort of saying, what was that for you? And she said when she was a little girl, I don't know how old, but a little girl, she wanted a Tiny Tears doll. Like a Tiny Tears doll, yeah, it would really cry and it would really wet and you could take care of this doll. And she made her parents very aware that she wanted a Tiny Tears. But she did not get a Tiny Tears. She got like a Tiny Tears knockoff. Something that didn't wet, it didn't cry. But God being so good in the fullness of time, as we got married and we had our own Sarah Gorin, our very own tiny tears arrived. And she did the full, the full deal. So I don't know what that gift is, 
But, but I want us to be connected to that sense of excitement and the sense of anticipation that comes with that. Because that's who's receiving this good news. The passages of scripture that have been read to us this morning are all anticipating and announcing the good news to a people that have not had good news in quite a while. Up until these gospel accounts, the people of Israel have not had a real word from God, not a prophetic word from him in almost 500 years. It's been a long time since God has been with them in a way that they could hear and understand. And so I want us to really understand what it means to be God with us. We're going to look at the passage that speaks to that Reuben prayed a little bit through that as he was offering the the prayer earlier today. But we're in Matthew. We're in Matthew 1. We're going to start in verse 18, and we're going to go all the way to verse 23. If you've got your Bible, great. If not, I'm going to read Matthew 1, beginning in verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together... She was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son And you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is a word to people that have not had God with them in in quite a long time. They are anxiously looking forward to a time where the Messiah would really show up. Even though they had the temple, they didn't really have their land. They were still occupied by the Romans. Previous to that, they'd been occupied by the Greeks. They really didn't have that priest, that king, that Messiah, who the prophets had foretold. Matthew is quoting here, from Isaiah 7:14 there is that future anticipation that something will be put right that this existence this, this kind of half-hearted spirituality you know temple sacrifice was important to get right with God but as you know because Jesus cleared out the temple a couple times in his ministry that it was a bit of a racket there were people that were just using it to get rich And even the religious rulers, the authorities, the people that had spiritual insight and authority over the nation of Israel, they had it completely wrong in so many ways. They were imposing and burdening people with man-made rules. And so that spiritual life, that sense of God with us was not part of their experience in any meaningful way. And so to hear that God would actually be with them, to hear that the Messiah would come is great news and big news. It's something that we just, I, wanna, I want us to grab a hold of. Specifically, we're reading this passage because in this passage, Jesus is portrayed as fully God and fully man. Where do you see that? It says specifically that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. Conceived of the Holy Spirit, the source of his divine nature. Born of the Virgin Mary, the sources, source of his humanity. Both fully human and fully divine. 
and even in parts of the world today, in some of the major faiths, this idea of God coming from the heavenlies and coming down to earth in the form of a person is a scandal. How does a pure, a holy, a righteous God dare to kind of muddy himself up with being a person, being a man, being a human, with all the stuff that we experience? How could God do that? But we're going to see this morning why it was so necessary, absolutely necessary, for Jesus to be a man in order to live out the calling that God had on his life. But Jesus is fully divine. Jesus' own understanding of himself is that he is from God. You remember in John 8 when he's confronting the Pharisees and he says, before Abraham was, I am. And he's using the very name of God, one of the names of God in Genesis. And he's saying, I pre-existed Abraham. And they get it, which is all the more reason why they're angry with him. But Jesus' own understanding was that he was of his divine nature. And Paul tells us in Colossians, and we've had this text not too long ago out of Colossians 1, 15 through 17. The Son, meaning Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. You cannot be a creator and not be God. God is the creator. And this text is telling us that Jesus created all things and even now everything is held together by him. He is divine. That is part of who he is, divine nature. Of one being with the Father, of one substance. Peter says this when he introduces his second letter. He just says, Jesus, our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So don't let anybody tell you that Jesus isn't divine. Don't let anybody tell you that he's not God. Scripture clearly, unequivocally portrays him to be that. But it also clearly and unequivocally portrays him to be fully human. To be a, a man, it says in Philippians 2, 6, 8, Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, advantage, but rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. So Jesus says he's emptied himself of his divinity. He didn't kind of go into, just didn't come down kind of in disguise. He wasn't just like Clark Kent on the outside, but really Superman on the inside. He was fully human. He emptied himself of his divinity to come down and be a person for us. And, and I don't think we fully appreciate this. We kind of expect that he's really the man of steel underneath that. Even when you look at the popular portrayals of Jesus, starting with his birth, Christmas, and we, we saw the, the video of, of the images of Jesus as being born. It's almost like he's kind of this, really like not a real baby. Do you ever see any of the movies about Jesus, like Jesus of Nazareth? That's going back a little bit, but that's kind of my era. There they kind of pan back to the stable, and you hear this cry. Mary's having Jesus. The cry signifies that the baby Jesus has been born. And that's the only time the baby Jesus ever cries at all. And you're like, really? So they present him, they put him on the straw in the manger, not crying. The magi come, not crying, happy. It's like, is that a real baby? Is that really? I mean, was he ever colicky? Did Joseph ever have to put him on a donkey and walk him up and down and just like, come on, just, come on, just, just. Jesus is the kind of baby that you wouldn't mind sitting next to on an airplane. 
for like a five-hour flight. He's that good. But there's something unrealistic about thinking Jesus as a baby in that way. Because Jesus is fully human. He went through all the, the, the life cycle of a person from being born, as each of us was, through being a, growing up as a child, becoming a young man, and living into adulthood. And his life was taken at age 33. It wasn't taken, he actually laid it down for us. But he's fully human. He's as much human as you and I are. And I want us to really get in touch with the human side for our time this morning. Because when we do, we will be able to connect with him and appreciate more and more what it means that he shared our humanity. One of the first things that, that, I, that just is so clear as I've studied this is that Jesus, because he's human... He understands us. He gets us. He knows exactly what we're going through. He just knows the basic limitations that come with being a person. We don't, for example, we don't have all the the intellect that we think we need to do this, that, or the other. We might think we do. Some of us can point to people in our family that think they do, that they know it all, that they always have an answer. But we have limitations just by being human about our ability to understand things, appreciate things, be wise, We have limitations in our ability to just sort of process emotionally. We have an emotional capacity that only fills up so much. Some of you are like, I'm already way over my capacity. And and Christmas isn't helping, right? So sometimes we know we get too busy with those kinds of things. But each of us has an emotional capacity limitation. That's just the way we're designed. I'm not saying your, your faith is deficient or anything like that. I'm just saying this is what it means to be a person. And the Lord had these kinds of limitations. Now, he cried out, and we'll see how he goes to his father for strength and for sustaining. But just being a person means that inherently we'll have limitations. As we grow older, our body tells us we have some limitations. You know, you might think, if you're my age, that you're still 30. But your body will tell you that you are no longer 30. The things you used to do, the moves you used to think you had on the court or whatever, you no longer have. And so it takes a sprained ankle or a pulled muscle or something like that to reveal the truth that you are getting older. So this is all part of being the person. But God, Jesus went through that. He understands that. And so... We want to connect with that. We need to know at any, he felt cold, he felt tiredness, he felt all those things that we feel. So that when we feel those, as you feel those today, maybe it's hard to get up in the morning, maybe it's hard to get sleep, you can say, Lord, you understand what I'm going through. You get where I am. Because in many ways, you've been there before. Lord, as a young person, you kind of get that my parents don't necessarily get me. Was that true? We only have one episode of the Lord's life between the time he's a baby and the time he's an adult. That's when he's 12 years old and he actually gets lost or his parents lose track of him as they're leaving Jerusalem. They're going back to their home and they can't find Jesus. It's kind of like that movie Home Alone. They, you know, she realizes on the plane that she's missing one of her kids. So they realize, Mary and Joseph realize that Jesus isn't with them. He's not with their relatives. And so they go back to Jerusalem and they find him. He says, didn't you realize I'd be in my father's house? Not giving him any kind of attitude, but just explaining so that they, and it's recorded in Luke, so that we would understand how much Jesus is connecting with his heavenly father. How much he is being called by God to be, eventually to be shaped as our savior. And he's talking with the scribes, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law. And they're amazed, even as a 12-year-old, what kind of knowledge this young boy has. So sometimes our parents don't get us. 
always. They don't understand necessarily what all is going on in our life. But communicate. Young people, communicate with your mom and dad. You know, they weren't just beamed to the planet at age 30 or 40. Sometimes we think that. You can never think that your parents were actually young like you were. They just sort of showed up as adults. Unthinking, uncaring, unfeeling. All those things that we might feel sometimes as we grow up. But Jesus knew what it was to be with his mom and dad, knew what it was to honor them, and at the same time knew what it was to hear God in the midst of that and to follow him. So communicate, connect. Jesus gets us no matter how old we are, or really no matter what we're going through. You know, part of the challenge of just being in this life, of being a person, is all the stuff that comes at us. The conflict, the disagreements, the people that out and out don't like you. And for whatever reason, some, they might have a reason, but oftentimes it's not a good reason. Oftentimes it's something coming out of them. And it can be people in your inner circle. It can be people in your neighborhood. It can be people in your wider community. It can be people from a different place. Did Jesus go through those things? Yeah, he did. If you read through the Gospels, you will find that his own family at times thought, we don't, we don't really know what's going on with Jesus. We're going to come and quietly take him away. Because this is getting a little out of hand as he's presenting himself to be a messianic figure. There are times where in his own village, his own town, his community wanted to throw him off a cliff because he was getting messianic again. He was talking about prophecy being fulfilled by him. And even when he picked his disciples in his own inner circle, he had Judas. He had somebody betray him. And then if that wasn't enough, he's going up against the power structures of the day, not only the Romans, but even more importantly, the Jewish authorities, the teachers of the law, and he's telling them that they are flat out wrong. He had confrontation. He had people that came against him. If you've got something that's come against you, if you're in the middle of a squabble, a fight, some disagreement, can I tell you that Jesus understands that? Can I encourage you to connect with him about that? Can, can I exhort you to say, it isn't, it's not like he doesn't understand. He's not just sort of standing back there with his arms folded and go, well, you know, you're a part of this. You've got to fix it. No, he's been there. He understands what it means to go through those things. And I want this Christmas for us to, to know and hear God with us. To say, Emmanuel, say his name. God with us. God, you're with me. If, my fa- if something's coming against my family, you're with my family. If something's coming against our church, God, you're with our church. Emmanuel, God with us. These are things that come at us from the outside. Jesus went through so many of those as a person and experienced them. Experienced the tension. Experienced the, the uncomfortable, feeling uncomfortable. Experienced the direct conflict. But that's on the outside. There's, always, there's also things on the inside. How many of us know that it's really hard to deal with the stuff that comes on the inside? The fears, doubts, temptations, challenges. The Lord went through those. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we don't have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tempted in every way, and yet is without sin. Jesus is tempted in every way. We, we get some glimpses of the temptation. He's in the desert. He's being tempted first to just sort of go into God mode, somehow to say God won't provide. He's been there 40 days. He's led there by the Spirit. But the enemy, the Satan, has come to him to tempt him and say, you can just turn these stones into bread. You're hungry. Go for it. You're the Son of God. But Jesus responds with Scripture. Man will not live by bread alone 
but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the enemy takes him up to the pinnacle of the temple and he says, throw yourself down. See if God really cares for you. Tempted to doubt God's goodness. Tempted to doubt God's care for him. See if he's going to, if you throw yourself down, I'll bet he sends angels. And Satan is actually quoting scripture, quoting one of the Psalms. He'll send somebody to make sure you don't even stub your toe. Jesus says, don't test your God. Scripture says, don't test God. And finally, the enemy takes him and he shows him the glories of all the kingdoms of the world. And this is where, let's be honest, where we often get really tempted. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. And Satan is telling Jesus, he's showing them all these, and he says, all these I will give to you if you just worship me, not in an ongoing way, but just one time bow down to me. And Jesus refused. He quotes scripture against Satan and then commands him to be gone. Jesus is tempted. Jesus stands on the word of God to face that temptation. And when the things are going on in our inside, how do we, how do we stand? We, we come to the Lord and we say, Lord, you went through stuff. You know what I'm experiencing. You know the intensity of what I'm feeling. Lord, give me the words that, that you used when you fought temptation. The Lord not only fought temptation with the word of God, but he also fought it through prayer. Hebrews 5, 7 says, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of, of his reverent submission. He's, he's using scripture and he's, he's praying to the Lord. He's crying out. Not only in Gethsemane, which obviously this refers to, but I believe at other times, whenever the intensity got really strong, he got really intense in his prayers. And let's be honest, some of us need to up our game in terms of our prayer life, in terms of coming against the things that are coming against us, whether from the inside or from the outside. If this is how Jesus dealt with this, we dare not deal with it any other way but to cry out to him, to get his word into us. That's true for young people, middle-aged people, older people. Whatever's coming against you, use the word of God. Whatever's coming against you, pray fervently for it. Take the model. Jesus knows what we're going through. He's been through it himself, and he showed us a way. Because he wanted, what was his goal? What was his, what, what was his aim in life? His aim was really to reveal God so perfectly that he could say at the end of his ministry, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He was single-minded. He was absolutely focused. And so the fervency of his prayer was to make sure nothing would get him off track. He felt these temptations. And he, yet he overcame them. And we would feel them with intensity. And yet we overcome them. So Jesus, by being a person, understands where we are. He gets us. Don't be separated from him. Don't be distant from him. Don't think that he doesn't get you, understand, or will help you. He will do all of those things because he loves us and he's been there. That's one of the key things of what his humanity does. But here's the second thing. When you, when you have a pain... It's, it's hard enough, you know, it, it hurts enough to go to the doctor. You go to the doctor and you say, doctor, I've got this pain. And she would say, okay, let's, does she say, let's um, just give you something for the pain? No, not until she says, let's figure out what the root cause is. Let's understand why you have this pain to begin with. And if we can deal with the pain, if we can deal with the root cause, then the pain will go away. You would not go back to her if she said, great, I, I know just the thing. Here's a prescription. This will take away the pain. But don't you want to see what's behind that? Do you like maybe think, are you concerned that maybe I got something really wrong with me? No, we're just going to deal with the pain. 
Well, you don't have the pain, you don't have to worry about stuff. Well, that's not true, right? We want to deal with the root cause. You, would, you, you, know, you want a doctor that's going to deal with, look at what's really wrong. And this is what Jesus does. He already knows what the root cause of our issues are. He knows that the root cause is that we have been separated from God. Why do we have pain? Why are we struggling? Why are we actually going to die, each one of us, physically? It is because of sin. It is because of the corruption of sin in this world, and it's because our sin nature continues to beat on us, continues to suggest things, continues to say, hey, this would be good to do. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. That is the condition that we were born to, and that is the condition that Jesus, as our great physician and Savior, came to help us, to save us from ourselves. The name Jesus is a Latin translation of the Jewish word Yeshua, which means God saves. That is his purpose. And we heard that he comes as Lord and Savior. In the Matthew reading, verse 21, he came to save people from their sins. How does he do this? He does this by dealing with the root cause. He does, by, he does this by giving his life for us. This is what Hebrews 2, verses 14 and 15 tell us. Since the children have flesh and blood... Jesus, too, shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. In other words, since we, because we're flesh and blood, because we're created, since we always, each of us will experience death, Jesus became the Savior by taking our death for us. It is the only way for him to do that. It is the reason why he had to be fully human as well as fully divine. If you don't have a sacrifice unless you have something living, you don't have sacrifice unless that living thing can actually be killed. And so Jesus is the perfect sacrifice for us because he is fully human and he gave his life for every one of us. And I, this is really the meaning of Christmas. This is what it means for Jesus to be human. Not only that he understands the predicament we're in, the pain that we experience, the conflict that, that is a part of our life, but he came to do something about it. He came to save us. He came to say, I am going to take the consequences of that sin so that you can be reconnected once again with your Father. So that like the Israelites, you can say, God is with us. And the greatest gift is that we will be with God, not only now, this side of heaven, as best as we can, as faithfully as we can, even though we're not perfect, but forever, for eternity. That's what he's given. That is truly the good news. This is what we really celebrate, and this is what I hope that we're anticipating. It's like, Lord, that's the good news. You came, you died for me. Right now you're a baby. You, you, it means that you you are just like me, fully human as I'm fully human. But you're God so that you can actually be the, the perfect sacrifice for me as well. It is a mystery. We could spend hours, days, trying to plumb the depths of what it means to be fully human, fully divine. But we don't have to because all we can do is just say, Lord, thank you. When I didn't have a hope, I didn't have a prayer, I had no way to save myself. You came to save me. Amen. Amen. And so, yeah, I, I just... This is, you, know, you want to talk about the greatest gift? This is the greatest gift that we can ever been, be, be given. There's nothing under your tree now. I don't care if it drives, has a bow, came from the Mercedes dealership or whatever. Nothing will compare with anything that what God has done.